Tonight's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. The best teams start with great talent. We can't watch best teams live right now, but we can watch them on NFL Network and NBA TV and all these other places. I watched a little 85 uh, finals today, Celtics-Lakers. Two great teams, lots of great talent. No one knows the importance of talent more than ZipRecruiter, our presenting sponsor. They deliver qualified candidates fast. So effective, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, where we're still cranking out content, including a, a, some Office stuff this week. Remember that show, The Office? Kyle Mann uh, did a video breaking down The Office basketball game. That's on our YouTube channel, which you should already subscribe to. But if you haven't, go check that out. We have a lot of great stuff there. And then The Ringer Podcast Network. We're still putting out about... 70% of the pods that we normally put out, but Ringer NFL, there's been some Ringer NBA, JJ Redick, Larry Wilmer, Dave Chang. The big picture, I was on that this week with Sean Fantasy to talk about The Hunt, a movie that I actually liked and about us moving into a whole on-demand era. Ringer Dish is still going. Uh, there's a, a slate of them. The ones you follow, go check out. Make sure they're not still publishing and go check them out on the Spotify app because their app is awesome. On this podcast, I have a very special guest uh, for Thursday's pod that I don't want to spoil. All right, fine, I'll spoil it. It's Eddie Vedder and Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam. We've only been uh, saying, <laughs> but first our friends from Pearl Jam for four plus years on this podcast, and now they're actually coming on the podcast. So I'll be I'll be throwing it to my friends twice. That's coming Thursday. Coming up right now, Jimmy Kimmel. We called him tonight, actually Tuesday night. Uh, to see what's going on with him and his life and and complain about our families and a whole bunch of things. And then J.B. Smoove, a po an interview that I taped a couple weeks ago, right before our offices got shut down, just had the last episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, so we're going to run that as well. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this. It's 8.30 Tuesday night. This is the best time to get Jimmy Kimmel because not only is he doing all kinds of stuff for his show and other things, but he's also uh, taking care of his family. He's cooking. He's cleaning. I, what, what happened? How come you're doing everything? I don't know what happened. Everyone abandoned me, uh, everyone except for the children. I woke up at 6.30 this morning with my son, made him breakfast. My daughter came down and made her breakfast. We watched a little Spider-Man, the old Spider-Man from the seventies for about an hour and a half. Oh my God. Then, uh, I, you know, I collected material, wrote the, uh, this video I do every day, recorded the video, recorded an interview for the video, cooked, made a chicken for dinner, uh, beets and pasta for the kids cleaned the whole room. Then I had to go move my car out of the garage and it was dead. So I had to jumpstart that. I broke my toe. You broke <laughs> your toe? My, yes. My toe is a strange shade of purple right now. Ah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I broke it, but I'm not going to go to the hospital to have them check. Is this the most time you've spent with your family? Because I, I think for me it is. This is the longest stretch I've had just, just as a unit, unbroken. The only thing comparable is like when we go on a ski vacation and I don't ski and none of us ski. Right. You just sit in a lodge. 
but you know, there's not as much housework then. Um, what is it like to try to figure out how to have a show when you can't have a show? Cause you're doing these little mini logs. What, what, what's the destiny of this? Cause we might be locked down now for, you know, eight more weeks. Well, it's kind of, it really reminds me of more than anything at the beginning of my career when I would do a radio show and I had no staff every day. So I just kind of, I, you know, I do it. But even then I had a radio station to go into and professional equipment to record on. And uh, here I've been just talking into my iPad. Well, you and I, we're a little similar in that we have a lot of people that work with us, but we're also kind of off on our own in our office. And then people kind of pass through. So we're, we're a little semi-quarantined, but not totally quarantined. People come in and out. Now it's like an official quarantine. But I, I still feel like 80% of my day isn't that different than what it was before, which has made me reevaluate my entire life, basically. Oh, see, mine is very different because now instead of, instead of people just popping into my office and showing me a video and making edits and doing that like six times sometimes, sometimes 10 times, I have to download it. I have to look at it. I have to ah. send back an email. Uh, I've got Slack going. I've got email. I've got emails coming in. I've got something called like Everlane that I I look at, and then I'm broadcasting on on Cisco. It's a whole thing. So you're basically for your show. You're back to the day, like the early days, the primitive days, when we used to have to lo load video clips from that weird server instead of having YouTube to just go on places. All that stuff. I, I just realized I've been complaining for like eight minutes, which is a lot of fun, I'm sure, for people to listen to. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you know what? When, when Cousin Sal first moved to L.A., Sal got his law degree and uh, then started working as a real estate attorney. And I just couldn't imagine him working in an office. So I convinced him to move to L.A. And he moved into the room in our house that I used as my office where I would rec record these uh, syndicated sports comedy bits. And back then, you know, the modems were like 28.8 if you're lucky. And then I had an ISDN line installed, but it was a crapshoot sending out your minute and a half long recorded comedy bit every day. Yeah. So it would take hours sometimes to send it out. And um, Sal lived in that room and Sal and I would record these bits and send them to radio stations all around the country. And uh, now I'm doing the same thing, except without Sal. I mean, when when you launched the show that first year, and for people out there, I don't know if everyone knows that I worked for you the first year plus of the show. We didn't even have wireless computers and stuff. So I, I remember like going off to write jokes, and I would write in a notepad, and then come in, and then type the jokes into my computer to send them to you, versus just like. I mean, nowadays you would just go outside with your iPhone, right? And write jokes in a dock and then just mail them away. It was so much more primitive. Well, yeah, it's funny because uh, I, one thing that you always say is that I invented using the laptop in the toilet. Um, you did. <laughs> and, and now it's very common. In fact, if you were to go on my Instagram account and check my likes, you can yeah. track my bowel movements because that's pretty much the only time that I'm on Instagram. <laughs> so if you see a heart, that means something bad has happened in my house. Uh, but I wonder how we would handle this. I guess we would have, I don't know, I guess we would have to go in in the same way that news people have to go in. Uh, but I don't think anybody would be happy about it. 
I do feel like you were the Jackie Robinson of taking your laptop into the computer and working while you were in there. Because you had a toilet in your office and you had work Wi-Fi, but now now everybody is wireless. I wonder, like, as I'm doing my job from home and talking to all these people that, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm talking to bosses or different people in, in the whole world I'm in. And, and you can have, like, hear a dog barking in the background or you can hear like water running and you, and odds are I've talked to somebody who was probably going to the bathroom and not telling me, right? Cause you could do it. You could mute the TV or mute the phone. I'm sure you've talked to me in that situation many times. <laughs> yeah, but you would tell me though. The only privacy I get at the office is in the bathroom. So if I have a private call, I will, I will go in the bathroom. So I'm sure you and I have spoken many times from that room. <laughs> well, our country, um, as we slowly start to lock things down, the first person either of us knew who did a self-quarantine was our agent, baby doll, James Dixon, who was the first person any of us knew to who was scared of the coronavirus and was saying, I'm 57 years old. I'm a smoker. I'm in the demo. This thing's coming for me. I'm not seeing anybody. And self-quarantine himself, which we thought for at least a week was his excuse not to work. But now it turned out he was ahead of his time. Yeah, he was paranoid. Now he's calmed down for reasons unknown. But I did say to him, <laughs> I was like, baby doll, why are, you, why are you quarantined? Why are you so panicked? He's like, I am, you know, I'm worried I'm going to get this and I'm going to die. I said, well, why are you not worried about the fact that you smoke three packs of cigarettes a day <laughs> and, you, and you're going to die? I mean, a lot more people are still dying from that. <laughs> he's like, He's telling you he's worried he's going to die as he's smoking a Marlboro Red. He's unbelievable. And then I got a text from Carson Daly's wife. Now, Carson Daly lives on Baby Doll's block. And his wife texts me. And she is very pregnant, like any day now pregnant. Oh, no. She went out, went out for a social distance walk with her friends. And Baby almost hit, hit the group of them in his car. <laughs> Yeah, he, and uh, he didn't stop and didn't acknowledge. Now, Carson is his client, by the way, did not stop and didn't acknowledge until I texted him uh, busting his balls. And then he's like, oh, sorry, baby. I, I, uh, I didn't see you there. <laughs> I asked him if he had enough cigarettes and he said, I'm fine, baby. I, I don't know. What, I don't know if he orders them online or if he just goes to where does he go? What does he go to like Costco? I don't even know where he would buy them in bulk. No, he doesn't do anything like he like, you know, he buys a he goes through a bottle of cologne every week. And you would think that he'd maybe do a little price shopping on Amazon or whatever. Or, you know, who knows, even Costco to get a to get a lot of cologne. But no, he buys them at a liquor store. He likes to go in the liquor store. He knows everyone there uh, by name. He gives them Christmas gifts. <laughs> you know, what alcoholic. <laughs> what non-alcoholic gives his liquor store guy a Christmas gift? <laughs> None. Just him. By the way, you know what he gave the guy? He told me, and this God's honest truth, the guy at the liquor store. What do you think he gave him? Russian guy. Uh, probably like a hundred bucks. No, bottle of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> he probably bought it there and handed it back to him. <laughs> just gave it back to him. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, we were going nuts because he was supposed to fly out. You were taping Who Wants to Be a Billionaire? And this was about a week before everything started shutting down. And he was basically making up excuses and then finally just admitted, I don't want to fly out. But then you found out 
that there John Stewart had another thing yeah. that he actually was flying with John Stewart because it was private. It wasn't a commercial thing. And then Sal wanted to greet them at the private jet with somebody who was coughing, which we thought we thought just a torture baby doll. <laughs> but it all seems hilarious now. Now, now it's such darker times. These were the times when we actually were joking about the coronavirus, not knowing what was coming. Yeah, I know. It's funny. Well, the scary thing is, I think about that a lot. And I think like, well, are we going to look back in two weeks on today and go, oh boy, well, we were joking about this coronavirus and we didn't know what was coming. What's What's been your role in this whole thing? Because obviously people come to you for, you're going to lighten the mood, you're going to make them laugh. But this is so, these are such serious times. And I just like, even with this podcast, I'm trying to figure out, you go through this stage of like, do even, people even want to hear a podcast? And if they do, do they just want to hear us be depressing the whole time? Or do they want us to take their minds off things for 20 minutes? So I've kind of moved into the, I'm just kind of here to take people's mind off stuff for an hour or whatever, right? I've decided I'm going to depress people for an hour a day. That's my thing. I don't know. To me, like there's nothing anyone else is talking about. I went to the supermarket the other day. I was like, all right, we have to have some milk. So I go on this adventure. I'm wearing my grilling gloves, big orange gloves. Um, now these gloves are not meant for any place other than the yard and they are bright orange. And I go into the supermarket with these grilling gloves on and I go to the butcher and, and, uh, there's this woman, she's got a mask on. She looks sickly, but I don't know if she is. She's touching every sandwich. She's picking up every sandwich and looking at it to see, I don't know what's in it or how much it costs or whatever. I'm going just berserk standing <laughs> behind her. Then she finally leaves and I order a uh, chicken from, from the butcher. And uh, he hands me the chicken and he goes, Hey, I just want to tell you, this is the funniest thing. I was like, and I thought he was talking about the show or he's like that. I, I said, what, 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 what is he goes, your gloves. It's the funniest thing I've seen in a week. <laughs> it's like, <"All> right. <laughs> I'm glad I amused you. My- so I'm not just in the house spreading mirth. I'm getting out there and really my wife went to the grocery store two days ago and she found this earthquake kit we had, you know, where we, everybody buys those earthquake kits. So she has it and she's like, cause we, we don't have any masks. All the masks are gone. And she's like, Hey, do you think I should open this earthquake kit to get the mask and the gloves out? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I like, what, what do we have an earthquake kit for? It's for an emergency. I think this qualifies as an emergency. So anyway, she put that stuff on. Pretty sure I gave you that earthquake kit, right? I think you probably did. It, I, I, th- I think it was a Christmas gift. You gave everyone earthquake kits. It was a great gift. This is my Christmas cheer. Yeah. Yeah, she went out and like we had watched Contagion because we did a rewatchables about Contagion like three weeks ago. And now it's like it's turned into Contagion. Like people are just leaving their house dressed like, you know, they like they're in a CDC clinic or something. Doesn't it make sense, though, that somehow Matt Damon would be responsible for this in some way? Right, that he was in Contagion. Yeah, it's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Where is Matt Damon? Matt Damon, is is he he in this country or in another country? Or we don't even know. Very interesting. It's like Hunter Biden. Where is he? (laughs) Interesting that we haven't heard from him. (laughs) I tell me out of the country. Yeah, and if you're out of the country, how do you get back? Can you even get back in at this point? I hope. I not. guess that if if you're flying from Europe, you can't. Tell me about uh, who wants to be a millionaire because my kids are really excited about this. 
Well, it, we shot it right. I think we shot it right at the end of anyone shooting anything. And we had no studio audience. So it was just me. And luckily, the chairs are a good distance apart. Because it turned out Andy Cohen was one of the contestants. Oh, my God. Coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. So he was uh, a contestant on the show. And, uh, you know, we, we were we maybe ghost elbowed, but uh, I didn't shake his hand or anything like that. But uh, uh, he seems to be doing okay, I guess. So, I, I you know, I, I'm sure people, it hits them uh, with different degrees of severity, but um, that was a little weird. But we had a great time, though. It was fun, even without the audience. I mean, I think it would have been really great with the audience there, but even without the audience, it was it's, it's a fun show to, to be in the middle of. I'm glad. I thought it was really smart to bring it back. I remember... 2000, it was, I think, a year, the year before I got to ESPN. And it became like a phenomenon that summer. And I remember putting everything in my columns. I remember all the people in it. And then ABC just like quadrupled down on it. And it was on all the time. And they kind of, they, they kind of burned it out a little bit. But now it's been, you know, I know it's been syndicated. I know they brought it back in a bunch of ways. But it, it does feel like it's been a long time since it was on. And I'm ready to watch it again. It's been 20 years since it was on in prime time. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I remember the irony of it was, I think they passed on Survivor. Remember like Lloyd Braun brought them Survivor or some, or Michael Davies or something? No, uh, Burnett brought them Survivor and they ended up passing on it. And then Survivor went head to head against who wants to be a millionaire and kind of derailed the momentum of some of it. It was the old, it was the old, whoops, we shouldn't have let that one get away coming back to haunt them. But I think it's, I'm still a game show to me or like horror movies or all these different genres that they're never going to die. They're always going to circle back and have moments every couple of years, you know, and it just feels like we're ready for a game show to kind of become relevant again. I guess we'll find out. Um, all these game shows do well on ABC, the family feud and the, you know, yeah. every the edition of everything, but uh, it was fun. I had um, Hannibal Burris was one of the contestants on the show. Yeah. And it was, I can't even explain it. it it's, it was one of the strangest, I know people over and misuse the word surreal, but we really took a journey into his brain that was, that had no place on who wants to be a millionaire. <laughs> and yet it was unbelievably fascinating and hilarious. It was, uh, it, some of the comedians on the show were really, really funny. Any athletes or no? Um, let's see. I should have come up with a list. Any athletes? You should have had an athlete. Cause as you know, there's, there could have been some inherent comedy. You mean that besides myself? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There could have been some, unintentional athlete comedy coming out of that, like a Rob, Gr a Rob Gronkowski. Uh, yeah, well, no, we didn't have Rob Gronkowski. Maybe the next time around, we actually had to cut it short today. So we didn't get to everybody that we're planning to put up on the show. Well, since you, so you launched your show January, 2003. And I think the bachelor launches when maybe within a year, 2004. Well, wasn't it the bachelor? Wasn't it the, bachelorette first or was it the bachelor? No, it was the bachelor first. It was that guy, Alex Michelle. And very soon afterwards. And somehow the bachelor feels like it's as big as ever. And it's been around almost 20 years at this point. Yeah, it I, is. It's still huge. And it's, 
it's out, you know, it gets a good rating, but the amount of people talking about it is, you, you have to believe that there are a lot more people watching than there seem to be. Either or, that or I just know everyone who's watching. Yeah, or people who at least know what's going on and can fake it to some degree. Um, can we talk about, let's, let's make this depressing again. Can we talk about the uh, Kobe Memorial, which you hosted? That whole, uh, which now that seems like that was a million years ago. And you think about how um, distraught and destroyed LA was there for four or five weeks. Isn't um, it crazy? Yeah. So you you get asked to host that. And then how does that, how, like wh- how many days before the memorial service do you know you're doing it? And who asked you to do it? Um, Vanessa asked me to do it through the Lakers, through Linda Rambus. Uh, I said yes immediately. Not until the day before did I realize it was going to be on television. Oh, really? Because <laughs> I don't read the like I don't read the entirety of emails sometimes. And um, somebody said like, "Hey, uh, you know, uh, do you want to you know send the grooming along?" I was like, uh, "No, I don't need it." And they're like, "Well, it's going to be on TV." I said, "No, really. <laughs> I I didn't know that, but." Uh, I was, yeah, I didn't know it was going to be on TV and it was, uh, very moving. And, um, I think, you know, just seeing his, his kids sitting there was really, uh, that was tough seeing his, seeing his wife and kids standing on the stage and looking at them, uh, was, was very difficult. I was, it was something that never occurred to me, but he was on your show. What 18, you did the memorial show for him and he was on the show, I think 18 times or 17 times. Something like that. Times on our show. And then there were many other events that I, in which I interviewed him or did things with him outside of the show. Yeah. yeah Cause when you think about it, you launched the show January, 2003, they're still the three time defending champs at that point. And then he plays for another 13 years. But I remember out of all the appearances he had, I remember the one, one of the years he won when he brought Adam Morrison on. Oh yeah. Remember that? And <laughs> And everybody just started kind of making fun of Adam Morrison and his reactions. But he had all his teammates out there and he really was like the dad. It wasn't like a team. It was like watching a dad with his 12 sons and all of them were like, weren't sure when to speak. And Kobe, Kobe was just orchestrating everything. It was really interesting. Yeah. He and Derek Fisher were the seniors and it was like everyone else was freshmen. And, um, yeah, he was clearly the center of the team, not just on the court, but personality-wise. <laughs> Morrison, they, you know, it's fun when you get a group of players like that. And first of all, they're all in a great mood. But when you you hit on something that, or especially you hit on a person that they've been making fun of the whole year long, and it just suddenly rings a bell with them and they all start dying laughing. And that's basically right. what happened to poor Adam Morrison. <laughs> Well, you were the first person who fully realized how funny Shaq was because Shaq was still, you know, he was trying to do Kazam. He was trying to be a rapper. He was trying to be like a spokesman and it wasn't totally hitting. Like he definitely had a personality, but it was hard to really totally see what it was. And you were, I remember when I got to know you and you were like, Shaq is the funniest fucking guy. He he offered, you did a roast and he offered his cousin fifty thousand dollars take a shit in the stage. <laughs> Not only that, he offered his cousin two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to shit on the stage 
while he was a guest on Letterman. <laughs> no, you know what? The 50,000 was for the Queen Latifah show. He was a guest oh, on the Queen Latifah he, he, I noticed something about him because I saw, I saw some thing where he was on video goofing around. I was like, wow, he seems to have a good personality. And then I'd see him in interviews and he's always like this. Right. And I figured it out. I said, oh, I know what this is. He doesn't want to be Charles Barkley where everyone gathers around him, quote, on any subject. He doesn't want to spend his whole life talking to these guys. So he's learned that if he gives them nothing, it's kind of like when you walk out of a restaurant half drunk and the cameras from TMZ are there. You could say like, hey, leave me alone, guys. Uh, you know, or you could just not say anything. Right. If you don't say anything, they don't really have anything to, to show. So you keep quiet. I think that was Shaq's philosophy. And then over the years, when you know, suddenly basketball wasn't his primary thing anymore, uh, he revealed himself to be. But he's hilarious. I mean, I went into a hotel with Shaq once across the street where I don't, we're doing some prank on somebody and the two of us are walking through the, the hotel, the one, the one right across the street from the show. And he, people were like, Oh my God, what, you know, of course you can't miss him. And, uh, and he told everyone that he just bought the hotel and all the employees were like, Oh my God, this is great. He's uh, well, and they're introducing themselves and their positions. to him. <laughs> I also drove him over there, and at the time I had like a, a BMW SUV, and uh, you know, it, it, you know, a decent sized car. But he couldn't fit in the front seat; he had to sit it, lay across the back seat. So I drove like I was wow. a chauffeur. Yeah, I I remember you telling me he was funny, and not believing it because of what you said about how he would go on autopilot in his interviews. But since then, he's talked about it. And it was the reason you said it's like the Bill Belichick thing. We're just like, I'm just going to not give you guys anything. And you kind of eventually everybody just gives up. And then your life is peaceful from that point on with the press. It, it is really smart. Have, have you been have you been roped in by the TMZ guys? You, you're usually good with that. Well, when they try to, hey, Jimmy, what do you think about blah, blah, blah? And you just kind of keep your head down and keep walking. I, you know, the idea that some of the topics are so random, it, it just makes me laugh. It's like, sometimes they'll inform me that someone died. Uh, like, oh, this is a nice way to find this out. <laughs> right. Thank you. With the camera. By the way, speaking of somebody dying and really being overlooked, how about Kenny Rogers? I mean, Kenny Rogers. I, I felt like six hours went by before I learned that he'd passed away. It's tough. Any celebrity that dies right now has the worst timing. You know, if it, if it was like an average week, I, th I think the Kenny Rogers would have been a two-day story. If I was a member of Kenny's family, I would have just said he died of the coronavirus because then it would have been a huge, he would have got, I don't know who's doing his PR right now. <laughs> they could have done a better job. But Kenny Rogers was the greatest. I mean, he was a huge star. He's right there and we are the world. I think he's one of the only country singers in the, well, I guess he was kind of a pop singer, but. Yeah, he really was. He also, um, he was the first celebrity I remember who just couldn't decide what weight he wanted to be. He would get, he would get super fat and then he would have like liposuction and be super skinny again. And then he was never like a, he was never in between the two sizes. Him and Luther Vandross, I thought were the two like that. When you have a beard, I think that's, 
I think it's either more common or it's easier to manage because you can hide 15 pounds behind True. a beer, especially if you're just being shot from the from the neck up. That I watched the way back last night with Affleck and Affleck actually looks like he loses weight as the movie goes along because he has the beard and you have no idea how big he is in the movie, but he's he's pretty gigantic in the first half hour. And then by the end, he leans out. I forgot to ask you about Shaq. Were you surprised that the Shaq-Kobe thing, um, that Shaq had that much affection for Kobe? Because it didn't seem like they had, it didn't seem like they talked that much, but it seemed like they had such a bond. I, I didn't, I just didn't really know about that at, at, as much as it came out. Well, you know how that goes. You don't have to, you don't have to talk to somebody that much, especially with somebody you know for a long time to have, have a bond. And I also think that when they're, when deep down you do like someone or love someone, but a lot of your relationship is contentious, that it can hit you pretty hard when you realize like, oh, there's nothing I can do now to make that right. right. Can't fix it. But one of the things that one of the most fun things to watch was when they sat down and, and talked to each other. Oh, an NBA TV. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, you, I remember you hosted one, something for Kobe. It was at the, uh, that little place next to the Staples. You had a night with Kobe Bryant. I'm going to say it was like 2012 or 13. And that was right around the time when Kobe was really trying to, I, I think he was more conscious of his legacy than maybe he was earlier in his thing. And he was really trying to reach out and become more of a personality and connect with people in a bunch of different ways. And I remember going, I went to that to see you guys and hung out with him and, and he just seemed like he was really at peace with whoever he ended up being in the 2013 range. And I think that happened to, to Shaq too, along the way. I think Shaq always had, you know, he, he was always a famous dude. He was always great at what he did, but I watched Shaq the last 10 years. Like he's one of the biggest spokesmen we have. I don't know if I ever would have predicted that. And he's actually really good on the inside the NBA show now. You know? I bet his Q score, you know that thing they do where they, they oh, measure? it's got to be huge. He's got to be right up there with Oprah. Oh, yeah. Like, if somebody said, I fucking hate Shaq, you'd be like, what? Like, you'd be like completely stunned. Where, um... At the Kobe Memorial, where were all the, were all the celebrities? Like, where, where did they put everybody before the event and was there like a room for people? What was it like? Um, I, I had a room, but, um, I'm really not sure. I think they have so many rooms there that but I think everybody's just in congregated. I'm not entirely sure where everyone was because I walked out. Uh, a lot of people were already seated. Was LeBron there or he wasn't there? He was not there. Yeah, so he, he, cause then there are people like, no, no, he was there in a sweatshirt, but he definitely wasn't there. I don't know. That was a weird story. I he definitely wasn't there, but I, I definitely didn't see him and he's hard to miss. Yeah. Um, can we talk about our cousin Sal? Sure. Have you ever been more concerned about him, uh, his mental state and just what he's doing day to day than right now? Cause he's never, he's never been able to not gamble for really the last 35 years. Do you really think he's not gambling? He's not found something to, to bet on? I mean, he's probably got his kids fighting each other in the basement. 
<laughs> like human cockfights. Yes. I just, I think it's, you know, when, when somebody like has an abuse problem and they hide it from people who care about them, I do wonder if there's a world where he's gambling on like esports but doesn't want to tell me. Like he's embarrassed and he's, he's on like, a, I don't know, Twitch, like on some Twitch gambling site watching 13 year olds play NBA 2K and betting on the outcomes. I just can't imagine him shutting it off. Don't even say that because he don't, if he isn't doing that, the only reason he isn't is because he never thought of it before because <laughs> he doesn't know what Twitch is. He seemed disappointed that they weren't going to have lock it in for a while. Cause he was like, well, we tried, we tried an episode and it's like, there's nothing to gamble about. What are you guys going to talk about? Just play Monopoly for an hour and, and bet on who wins. I, they could just insult each other for an hour. That might be fun to watch. Well, you know, I would watch, I would watch Salad Salt anybody. You know, when things are going well and you're starting to, you have chemistry with your co-stars and, and, you know, you're in, enjoying, uh, talking to them and getting into it. And, you know, Sally loves the action. He's, he can't live without it. I think you're right. I think he's figured, I think he's figured out a way to bet on his kids in all these different random ways would be my guess. Hey, are you, um, are you as concerned as I am about the restaurant industry? Because there's all these different things happening right now. Uh, we've been getting takeout the last few days just to try to support a couple of the places around here. But I do, when you think about all the fallout of all these different um, terrible things that could happen, sports can come back, you know, eventually airplanes can come back, all this stuff. But restaurants, there's a point, restaurants, bars, certain retail stores, places like that, there's just a point where they can't stay open anymore. Um, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of these chefs, what are you hearing? It's grim. It's very bleak. And, and these guys are, are devastated because if some, a lot of them have had to close and most of them have had to lay off 95% of, of their staff. And, you know, these are people that they work with every day. They're, they're friends, they're family members. They're very close to these people. And I do hope that, I mean, thank God people are delivering food. I personally have had a hard time getting, I think if people in the restaurant industry are looking for a job, maybe driving the, the food is, is a good way to go because I, I haven't been able to order food to my house the last four times I've tried. They, they can't find a driver. Oh, interesting. One thing I did though that, you know, because there are restaurants I go to a lot and I, I know the, the people that work there and if you can, if you're in a position, and I know most people aren't, but if you're in a position that you can, I went and bought a whole bunch of gift certificates um, that you know I'll use when things aren't so um, rough anymore, and that's a good way of of helping to float your local neighborhood restaurants. Do you think all this is leading to the most terrible version of the We Are the World video we've ever had for to to do this? Like the Gal the Gal Gadot whatever that imagined thing was, I felt like that was the tip of the iceberg from the unintentional comedy standpoint. I don't know where it goes going forward, but it does feel like we could have something really magnificent here from a celebrity standpoint. I think it also happens to be like some anniversary, some like the, maybe the 45th anniversary or something of We Are The World. Yeah, 35th. 35th, yeah. And I... Yeah, I have heard rumblings that 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 somebody's looking into getting that going. 
rumblings. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like celebrity singing is not a great idea right now. I mean, unless they're mus- unless they're singers. <laughs> did you ever get your good friends with Huey Lewis? Did you ever get any stories from the We Are the World shoot? Oh yeah, <laughs> Huey's got great stories about that. I have to get him on a podcast at some point. It was basically every relevant musical artist in 1985 was at that thing. He, you know, he was, he, they had to teach Bob Dylan his part. (laughs) It was, uh, yeah, he's got great stories about that. And he was like one line too. He had a couple lines. Yeah. Bob had, I could do the whole song and everyone's voices for you, but I, I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to be the next Imagine video. (laughs) <laughs> We're saving our own lives. It's true. It's you and me. It was like he was intentionally trying to not sing the melody. It was like, right. it was like fuck you, Michael Jackson. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, and then the, the Dan Aykroyd thing has just never been explained. I Google it maybe once every five years, hoping that there will finally be an explanation. Never. That makes That's okay. I'm okay with that one. I, I mean, he was in the Blues Brothers. To me, the Blues Brothers... For my age, I think you're a little young for it, but the Blues Brothers. What are you talking about? We're the same age, or you're like a year older than me. I'm yeah, I'm 52, but but I don't know. To me, the Blues Brothers were a huge. I had all their albums. They were like a a, a musical group to me. All right, I'll concede. I lo- I also love the Blues Brothers, but if it's Dan Aykroyd and he's there because of the Blues Brothers, then wouldn't he have had to dress like a Blues Brother to have that make sense? He should have just been Elwood Blues. Yeah, well, maybe there were some wardrobe um, deficiencies. <laughs> maybe but, he uh, forgot his outfit. But wouldn't yeah. it, how dumb, how much fun would we have made of him if he was dressed as Elwood? <laughs> I think everybody else probably would have been pretty, uh, pretty like, what the fuck's going on with this guy? It's funny though when you watch when you watch that video. Some of the people that got prime parts, if you had to do it over again, would not have gotten like. Like Paul Young, who was pretty big there for a couple of years. Yeah. But now when you look back, it's like, like my kids have no idea who that is. You know, if you go through, they'll know this person, this person. But Paul Young's pretty early in the song. And they kind of probably wasted a spot in retrospect. Well, I, I, still, I don't think he wanted to follow Ray Charles with, with Paul Young, probably. Yeah, that's a good one. How about the fact that is another thing I noticed uh, when I was at the supermarket. Everyone's dressed like Michael Jackson now. Right. I mean, You're he right. really was ahead of his time. People have got the the thing around their face and the, the gloves and the, they're moonwalking, the whole thing. Are you worried about Corolla? The Corolla virus? <laughs> the, the, the Corolla virus. <laughs> yes, of course I'm worried about Corolla. And I'll tell you why. As you recall, Adam, about 18 months ago, decided to stop bathing altogether, right? Yeah. And do you remember what the result of that was? He got a, didn't he get like a staph infection? He got pink eye and yeah, his, <laughs> he, went, he almost went blind, <laughs> which, you know, he doesn't open his eyes that much as it is. If he went yeah. blind, yeah, real problem for his race career. Right. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, hygiene is not up there at the top of, on his to-do list. It really isn't. And I don't know if you know this, but he jumps into a freezing cold pool every day with his son. He forces his his son to do this too. And he believes it somehow gives him vitality. But I believe that the real reason he does it is 
Number one, to get out of bathing. And number two, it's an excuse to not heat the pool. Oh. Because he's cheap. He he is the cheapest person who always tells people how rich he is that I've ever met. <laughs> he's never had more than $3 in his pocket. <laughs> at, at any time. Um, all right. So you are you going back to doing your show next week? That's happening? Um, I'm not going back to the studio. No, I'll, I'll keep doing from home. Perhaps we'll expand it a bit. Oh, I thought you were expanding it. Maybe having guests and stuff. And like blowing it out a little bit. I have been having guests, but um, by remote, you know, I won't have in-person guests, but we'll right. video chat people in. Oh, but I thought you were like blowing it out though and and almost making it like a full show. That's not, I had bad information. You know, it's funny. I started doing like six minutes and today's was like 20 something. <laughs> so you know how it gets. You get on a roll and you start talking. I had Dave Matthews on today and we talked for a while and then he sang and uh, I did some jokes. And, uh, next week it'll be more structured. I, uh, next week we'll be back on television. I think. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, because you really for the last seventeen years, other than the writer's strike in '08, but even then you took a few weeks off and then came back. But for the most part, you've been on TV pretty much consistently now for seventeen years. So it's weird to just all of a sudden not be on TV. Do you ever feel like this might be the end of TV, this incident, this time here? I was saying, I was on Fantasy's podcast talking about this new on-demand thing, like Affleck's movie, The Way Back, came out last night, um, or came out today, actually, for 1999. I didn't go see that in the theater, but I would have immediately on-demanded it. And I was wondering if it's going to completely reshape the movie industry and basically just bypass the theaters and people would only go to the theaters for star Wars, comic book movies, things like that. And I think the same thing with TV, whenever you have something massive like this, it does tend to have repercussions and kind of alter how people do stuff. Like with the NBA, it might, you know, let's say the NBA comes back July, August, and that's the playoffs. And they're like, wait, this is cool. There's no football. Our ratings are actually higher than we thought. This should just be the new schedule. And then we have that going forward because we saw that happen with the writer's strike when that when they would make 500 pilots a year and then all of a sudden they're making 100. And they were like, let's just do it this way. So what, what do you think happens to TV? I just think that people have, you know, the late night shows, um, uh, various mediums. Like like the other night, night uh, that DJ Nice was on uh, Instagram, right? And everyone started texting me like, oh, you got to you got to watch this. You got to listen to this. You got to get on. And it, like, you know, they're, they're playing new edition. You got it. You would love this. It's weird. Just people that I don't even hear from that much were telling specifically telling me I should be watching this. And, and, and it occurred to me that if I was getting, you know, six text messages about something like this, that there must be millions of people watching. And. I mean, the idea that millions of people are tune in, tuning in to watch a guy play records and kind of like dance along with it is pretty great and pretty unusual. Right. You know, this, this, he's not like he's a household name either. And um, I just think that, that th th this is going to become the way things go. And it's interesting how many people like, you know, of course, people like to say stuff, but people are like, oh, I love, I like this 
you doing this from your house better than, you know, doing it from the studio. And, you know, if enough people feel like that, who's going to pay for a studio? You know, who's going to pay right. for all this? Well, one thing I was thinking watching, watching CNN and they would have these experts who can't come in the studio and they're on video that's just basically looks like the Zoom thing we're shooting right now for this podcast. And guess what? It's fine. You know, it's like, I, I'm not watching it going, oh, I don't know if I can watch this. The video stream's not good enough or the picture's not clear enough. It made me think like the YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram era has dropped our standards anyway with video resolution and just what we're used to seeing. And so for something like your show, maybe the future of that show isn't the structured guests coming out, everything looking awesome. Maybe you could experiment more and just have guests popping in for two, three minutes from all over the place. And it's just way more unpredictable and weird. I don't know. It's similar, I think, in a way to what happened to FM radio once podcasts uh, and, of course, streaming music became became a thing. It's like there was a way, you know, I was in radio for 12 years and there was a way we did it. The highest ad rate was from 6 to 10 a.m. in the morning. The biggest show was on at 6 to 10 a.m. in the morning. You always had your personalities. That's where all the talking happened. The music yeah. kicked in at 10 a.m. while people were at work. Um, there was you know, certain like 13 minutes of commercials per hour, four breaks per hour. It's just how, how, when, and then all of a sudden, you know, podcasts come along and it's like, I'm going to talk for as long as I feel like talking. Uh, every once in a while I'll, I'll mention a product and I'll do it in an organic way. And it's just so it's totally different from the, you know, there's a way things are done and people keep doing things the way they are done until something forces them not to or teaches them not to. And in this case, maybe we just all suddenly learned at once that there's a different way to do things. Yeah, you could even do like Wednesdays, you just do the show from from your from where you are right now. Who knows? Or like on Thursdays, I could complain about my toe for 40 minutes. <laughs> that would just be Adam Carolla's podcast. You can't do that. If it's just you you complaining about one thing for 40 minutes, he's already claimed that territory. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really, you know, it's hard to find any silver linings with all the terrible stuff that's happening these days. But I, I don't know. I'm a generally optimistic person. Here's and, the silver lining. Yeah. Uh, I'm giving my maid a raise 100% when she comes back. Because I had no idea what this poor woman is dealing with. <laughs> and um, also, um, we need to eat. At, we need to keep eating out. That's, I don't know if that's a silver lining, but I think it's important, you know. Well, I wonder, what, what was it, World War II when they would, they called it the baby boom? When all those soldiers came back from war and there's just a whole bunch of babies. I wonder if this would be the corona divorce boom. All these, all these couples that were forced to spend all this time together and there's just going to be a skyrocketing divorce by the time this is over. Could happen. I think it will happen and not just because of spending a lot of time together. And I think also there'll be a baby boom uh, as well. But I think that um, for me, when I got divorced, um, uh, it was not, I made that decision not long after 9-11. And it it was part of it was just kind of a realization that life is not long. Yeah. You should um, try to enjoy it. 
there you go. This is a good good way to end the, end the interview, end of the podcast. Um, we when it parents corner, or do you want to? Uh, oh, let's do. You want to do a parent corner? Let's go. You do it. Go. Well, my kid, my son especially is is either dressed as Spider Man or naked all the time, and uh, you know we like them to put on some pants. So <laughs> I said to him, I was like, "Hey, buddy, come on, you got to put some pants in." He goes. I don't need pants. All I need is my penis. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff going on. That's true. <laughs> well, what's what's his exact age right now? Two, like two, two and a half, three. Be three on April twenty first. I I think two and a half to three is when little boys become like comedic geniuses for about like nine months. Oh, he is funny. Yeah, he is. Uh, everything is funny. And he he yells at me. He's like, you're being rude. <laughs> like, I, I'm not being rude. I'm being your father. Um, my parent corner, the, the biggest drama in my house right now is when my daughter gets to see her boyfriend again. This is now like. Same here, except my daughter's five. <laughs> <laughs> she sleep. She brings a picture of him down to breakfast every morning. It's framed. And she carries it downstairs and sits and eats breakfast with her boyfriend. And then it goes on her bedstand at night. Ah, that's nice. Well, mine has been... You've always got a boyfriend, huh? Oh, for like eight months. And um, they haven't seen each other for almost two weeks. And like every day, Trump is giving his press conference with whoever the, uh, whoever the virus p- experts are. And then around six o'clock, I have to give my press conference when she starts badgering me with questions. Do you think I'm going to be able to see Colin this week? And it's just the same beats over and over again. And uh, so I don't know. I'm going to end up getting the coronavirus from uh, my daughter and her boyfriend. I don't know. One of them is going to give it to the other and then I'll die. Is how this is going to go, I think. Not, wouldn't that be an extra kick in the balls? I mean, really? I said that to her. I said, look, you could see him, but imagine if I died. Because you had to see your boyfriend and, and I could see her wheels turning and she was calculating the risk. And that scared me more than anything. She was like, ah, yeah, she's like Trump. She's figuring out who's going to, who's going to (laughs) survive. Hey, you know, you should show her and you really should do this. And I know you will do this. Show her the movie boy in the plastic bubble with Travolta. Oh yeah. That's a good one. Maybe get her a bubble. Maybe that's the way to go. Or get him a bubble. Get one of them a bubble. I mean, the conversations we have these days just would have been inconceivable a month ago, right? Where she's going, look, he's been quarantined for exactly as long as I have. This is an actual Senate set in my house. So I don't know. We'll see, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, all right. Say hi to everybody in the Kimmel family. One last question. Are you yeah. growing a Larry Bird mustache right now? What's going on there? I- no, I just haven't shaved. I have a lot of weight, whatever. No, Listen, nobody could grow a Larry Bird mustache. There's only one person. One well, person it looks like you're halfway, you're halfway there. No, thank you. Uh, Jimmy, thanks for coming on as always. My pleasure. Good to see you. Good to see anybody. <laughs> hey, growing a business takes the same concentrated effort it takes to build a championship team. To do that, you need all your numbers in one place, and that's why companies like Ring, Hint, and Tacovas use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Companies know that in order to grow, you must have the right tools. NetSuite provides you with the full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. Everything you need to, do, to grow all in one place. Run your entire business from everywhere, even if you're working from home, which you probably are these days. With NetSuite, you're covered. No more guessing, no more waiting. Smarter decisions, confidence. 
crystal clear visibility into your numbers. Join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to stay in control. I should probably do this. You know why? Because I qualify because I'm one of the many people right now who are working from home. I need better tools. I could schedule my free product tour right now and receive my free guide, six ways to run a more profitable business at netsuite.com slash BS. Go there, check it out. Netsuite.com slash BS. All right, we're going to throw to JB Smoove in one second. I really enjoyed this season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, I would say it, it, the, the PR of the show is in the high 20s. I don't think it was in the 30s, like a vintage season, but it was definitely in the high 20s. JB Smoove was a big part of that. I had no idea about a lot of his backstory, so I learned a lot from this one. Here's that interview right now. JB Smoove is here. I don't know. We've never, I'm pretty sure we've never done this before. Mm. There might have been some time at ESPN years ago that I don't I don't remember, but I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure this never happened. Not a one on one. Not a one on one. One on one is definitely different. met. One on one is different. It's yeah. kinda like sometimes iconic characters get somehow to go one on one. And I use the basketball analogy. Yeah. You know. Now everybody now it depends what kind of game it is. But the two individuals, when they go one on one, they gotta have they both have to have game. You gotta have game. You can't put anybody on the court with each other you know some some people are just not they're not versatile enough to be on the court with the other person but sometimes these two minds uh have got to meet at some point on the court we've circled each other for a long time you circle each other sometimes it's like two boxers in the same weight class who and just never want to do paws going yeah. around in circles just going in circles <laughs> we're both from philly just waiting for one open spot <laughs> to throw a punch and the crowd's going boo <laughs> hit him somebody do something you know and that and thus that's when the UFC was born. And now you can kick the shit out of somebody. See? Once the feet get involved, it changes the whole game. Once the feet are involved, it changes everything. The feet and able to grapple and tackle somebody and put them on the ground and make, make the ass tap out. Now it's a different game. I intentionally did no research for this podcast. You don't need no research with me. With well, me. I figured like, I figured we wing it, which is something you're very good at, which I, like I know on Curb, there's a lot of winging. We love the wing on Curb. Curb is built. I mean, I think I was built for that show. Right. I really do. Well, he know. he realized initially you were only supposed to be in the first season, right? I don't think you were intended to stick around for yeah, five came, more seasons after yep. that. I came in season six. The meet the meet the black season. Meet the black season. So yeah, man. I think it's one of those things, but but I do believe you precede yourself. Like this was my favorite show of all time. Yeah. You know, I watched Curb when I was writing for SNL. Yeah. I would, we we were you know, we would watch Curb, you know, come in to the writing sessions and we would talk about Curb for 15 minutes because, you know, while I was on air, we talk, before we even started working, we just talked about Curb. And I loved that damn show, man. I loved it so much. That was my favorite show. And then, um, you know, but years earlier, like, let's say late, late 80s, late 80s, uh, Mid eighties. You talking about when Larry was a writer? No, I'm talking about when I when I oh. took an improv class. Uh, you know, late eighties. I took an improv class, and um, I think that's one of those things that somehow you know I took the improv class with uh, Marty Friedman. Yeah, I don't, you, I, don't even, I don't know if you know Marty Friedman. Marty Friedman did a SCTV. Remember SCTV? Yeah, yeah. Marty Friedman was on SCTV. Oh, he's a cast member? Yeah, man. And um, he had an improv class at the old improv comedy club in uh, in New York. And um, the club actually closed down after after that uh, improv class I took that summer. 
So that was the first thing I ever did was take an improv class. I wanted to see who I wanted to be on stage and off stage. And I think that putting that little tool in my box years later, you know, um, but even my stand-up has always been improvised, somewhat improvised in my stand-up. Um, I'm a chance taker, so I just go out there and just wing it sometimes. But I like to go where the audience takes me takes takes me at takes me to. And what happened was I put that little improvised tool in my in my toolbox and years later I had an opportunity to go in for curb and I ended up on the greatest improvised show on TV. So you go you audition for the job of uh I can't what was her name? Loretta? Uh yeah. Vivica Fox's character. Oh yeah, yeah. She, she. Uh, everybody kind of. Were you the brother, or the cousin, oh, the brother, mean, brother, the brother. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Leon. Mm-hmm. And you have this great season on the show, and then the next season he has to kind of get rid of the whole family to start a new thing. But somehow yeah. you you just end up staying. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I always love when they pulled that off. It's like, no, actually, Leon's going to uh, just stay in the guest room. It's like, oh great, more Leon. <laughs> more Leon this is baby. awesome. Yeah. It I made think- no sense though. Why you live there? Why this? Sometimes multi-billionaire I, would have you in a house. what I think it is, though. And this can, can merge over to real life or TV life. But I do believe you have to sometimes, you got to take a friend, take a job, take a lady. I think at some point in your life, you're going to be doing one of those things. You're going to do, even if it's unintentional, you're going to, at some point, you're going to take something yeah. that you, that's, that's automatically has pulled you in that direction, whether you intentionally did it or you did it on purpose. But at some point, you got to take a job, take a friend, take a lady, or whatever it is. At some point, you got to take something. Just has to happen. It just has to, has to happen. You, sometimes you step on toes and burn bridges that you don't know you did. You know, so at some point, you got to do one of those things. So, you know, I think that you 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 show up to your job, you overdo it. I just posted, some, I posted this now from my city of Mount Vernon, where I'm from. They, they post a, a bunch of, uh, for Black History Month, they post uh, people from Mount Vernon who are, who are doing things and always have done amazing things, uh, trying to do amazing things. So, um, and I posted, you know, I always try to come to work early. I try to stay late, you know, because me coming early, you know, not a regular job, whatever your dream is. Yeah. For your dream, you come early, you stay late. But I'm not telling you to give your boss damn <laughs> free time right. that he's not going to pay you overtime for. I'm saying for your dream, you come early, you stay late. You know what I'm saying? That's that's what's going to propel you into where you want to be at. So, so you're saying that first curb season, you were showing up I early, staying late. Because it's benefiting me. Yeah. If you got to shoot a scene over, sometimes I'll ask for a scene, can we shoot that again? Because I know I can do it better. Or yeah. I know I can, I just came up with a bright idea. Uh, I was improvising, but hey, I got another funny one. Let's try this one. Can we get one more shot? That way, that's benefiting me. You know what I mean? That's giving me another chance to take a swing, a, a crack at it, which is different. So when I say, you know, I tell young people come early, stay late, that means you put, you invest into what you want to do. Yeah. What is going to make you happy? What is going to make you strive for, for greater things is you come early, you stay late. You stay late for yourself. You come early for yourself. Now, I'm not telling you to do that for your boss. You do that for yourself. That's going to benefit you later on. You're not going to be this boss for, forever. It's not your boss for the rest of your life. It's your boss for right now. So you stroll into that Curb universe. Of course. And within within a couple of days, you're like, I'm home. <clears throat> this well, is it. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. When I was on Curb, I remember the first day on Curb, my first day shooting, 
Uh, we had just shot a scene, a few scenes that day, and then me and Larry were just standing there talking, you know, off camera. And Larry said, you know, it feels like we've been working together for years. Mm. And that's, that is what you should feel that. You, you feel it on your skin. Yeah. Like, oh, I, this is what, this is what. So my process of getting on Curb was a, a, a route I had to take. So I, I tell you, take that moment I just said, but I'm going to tell you something right now. So when I was uh, watching Curb, I loved it. I was in Jersey. I stayed in Jersey City when I worked at SNL. So my wife was washing dishes. My fiance, who's now my wife, was washing dishes and, and watching Curb on watching Curb. I said, man, I love this damn show so much. So I'm watching watching the show while she, but she wasn't really into it yet. And and then she started watching it. And then she said, man, I said, I love this show so much. I said, I would love to be on this show one day. And she said, you know what? I can see you on this show. She said, you're going to be on this show one day. I can see you and Larry together clearly. You know, he's crazy, saying crazy stuff. You say crazy stuff all the time. She said, you're going to be on that show one day. And literally a month and a half later, um, I didn't get renewed. So I was open and free. All this happened from her saying that to me going to Atlanta, going on the road, doing stand-up. Didn't get renewed. I just signed with a new agent. You know, I got rid of everybody. Got a new agent, new everything. And then um, I go to uh, do stand-up on the road. I was in Atlanta, Georgia. And I heard a buddy of mine had passed away. So... A buddy of mine passed away, and I said, "Oh man, I gotta go. I gotta go to L.A. for one day because my buddy passed away." So I go to L.A. for one day, just just one day, and I got in town. I said, "I'm, I'm gonna go visit my my new agent. They got offices in New York. They got an office in L.A." I go in there and meet these guys, say hi to them, and say, you know, because now it's my transition from being a writer on SNL to me actually being in front of the camera again. Yeah, even though I was on camera here and there at SNL. So what happened was. I get there, I meet my new agent. Uh, one comes in late and says, hey man, how long are you in town? So I'm in town for one day because you know my buddy yeah. passed away, I came in town. And my buddy was the guy who produced the song, This Is How We Do It, by Montel Jordan. Yeah. It's a, part, it's a crazy party song. This is how we yeah, do yeah. it. So I, I said, uh, well, I'm in town for one day, my buddy passed away. Um, named O.G. Pierce, he passed away, I'm only in town for one day. So I got an audition, can you make it over there? You got time to do it today? I said, yeah, what the hell? I said, what's it for? He said, Kirby Enthusiasm. I said, wow, I freaking love Kirby Enthusiasm, man. I would love to go in. He said, okay, can you go right now? I said, yeah. I leave there, go straight over to the audition. I walk in there. I said, okay. And they give me some sides of what the three scenes that we're going to do. And I'm thinking I'm going to go on and go on tape. You know, I'm probably going to go on tape. I, had no, I didn't even know the process. I didn't even know I was going to walk in the room and audition directly with Larry. Yeah. I had no idea. I thought I was going to go on tape. They'll review the tape. You know how they normally do auditions. I get in there, man. Larry's standing in the middle of the room, you know, and I do this thing where I come in the room as my character. I always come in as my character as opposed to coming in as myself and turning on the character. Yeah. It's so hard to turn the character on. If you come in that room, like you control the room. If I came in there as the character, I'm doing mannerisms, I'm walking in there, I'm looking around the room, they're looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> he's walking around, he's looking and looking around, checking people out, you know, they, and that's, that's my way of showing you how my character enters the room, showing you how my character, uh, his mannerisms, his delivery, his everything about him you see immediately. So now I, I control the room now. I'm not sitting there waiting for you to say action. Right. I control the room. Larry's looking around like, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is wrong with this guy? So I said, I walk, I walk up to Larry. I said, okay, Larry, let's do this, baby. So audition, right? Um, we're going to improvise. I said, anything could happen. 
I said, who knows, man? I might slap you in the face. I don't know. And I just walked away, right? And we started the scene. And Larry's like, what the fuck? <laughs> he's looking at me, he's like, hey, who is this guy? You know what I mean? So I control the room now. So I, I do the audition. I leave there. And uh, my agent calls me. He says, uh, how'd it go? I said, man. I said, we laughed our asses off. I mean, it was a, it was a funny audition. I said, if someone else goes in and gets it, gets the character, God bless them. So I go on the road, do my little stand-up. Day later, you know, I, I'm in uh, I'm in Pittsburgh. I leave California, go straight to Pittsburgh. I'm in a snowstorm, everything, man. And my agent calls me. I'm driving. I leave the show because it's snowing too bad, and I, I hated the club. I was in a terrible hotel room. I mean, this hotel was fucking filthy. I just I had to lay down in my with my coat on and my shoes. It was so filthy. I said, "What the hell am I doing here?" And I say that because I just know that there's a route to everything. Yeah. Some somehow I was supposed to go through, you know, getting up to two hours from Pittsburgh to this little comedy club. I was supposed to not get renewed at SNL. I was supposed to be in this dirty hotel room. I was supposed to meet this crazy promoter, club promoter who was out of his mind. I was supposed to leave there and say, I can't do this. I'm gonna go back to Pittsburgh and fly out tomorrow morning. I was supposed to not do those do those shows that weekend. I was supposed to be being in my car driving from this two hours out of Pittsburgh, driving in a snowstorm, five miles an hour, all the way back to Pittsburgh. Yeah. I was supposed to get a phone call from my agent saying, yo, go three miles an hour because you got Kirby enthusiasm. I was supposed to go through all that. You know, I can't say my buddy was supposed to die, but I can say that I was supposed to be there to to pay my respects to him. Yeah. So when I got there and paid my respects to him, somehow the universe said, hey, you love Kirby enthusiasm. Your wife already said you're going to be on the show. So... Now you made a decision to show up to California to be at your friend's memorial. In order for that to happen, now you somehow the universe has put you in the room with Larry. Now everything you always done, which is improvise on stage or on stand up, now you can improvise in front of him. Now he can make a decision if he's gonna hire you or somebody else outside that room to be on the show. So when I got the show, I said, Oh snap, I got the show. So when I then he said, Come back to California immediately, I had to go back to California to start shooting Kirby Enthusiasm, which is crazy. You left out one piece. Yeah. Larry was also on SNL as a writer for a year. He was. Didn't have a great experience See how left. all this, isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's, that's, that's bizarre not, not, too. It's bizarre that how, somehow, I think somehow you meet people before you meet them. Yeah. And I really, I could feel that sh- this show on my skin. I could feel that I was preparing myself to be on a, a show that improvised because I took the improv, improv class because I applied that to my stand-up. I applied that to everything I ever did, you know, being life at a party, showing up to parties when I was younger, saying, man, everybody's sitting down. Let me start this party off. Let me be the first one to dance. Let me be the first one to do this. And I think that all played a part in building your character and who you, who you plan to be later on. But I think all that is laid out somehow. So when you get Curb, you think it's just one season? Here's no, I don't. I don't. Se- I, I don't, don't, I don't know, know what it is. Okay. I don't know what it is. All I know is, I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this dude something he never seen before. Yeah, I'm gonna go up here and do my best to to be the best uh, uh, part of this ensemble. But do they know the arc of like this family's gonna move in Larry's house for the season? And oh, that's oh, gonna that, be the- that was already written. Yeah, they know that part. All that they know. They but know they, they got a they family think it's probably in. over after the end of the season. But see, here's the fun thing about Curb is this: you. It's improvised. Of course, we got an eight-page outline. The yeah. story is there. But the dialogue, so I, I, I make it a point to, because the dialogue is open, 
I make it a point to um, create storylines within the storyline. Yeah. So because it's improvised, I get a chance to, you know, create uh, my story. There, there is no Leon origin. The character doesn't have an origin, so I could just sit there and say what the hell I want to say because there is there's nothing that says, you know, all I know is that I'm I wasn't from L I was from LA as opposed to from New Orleans. My family's from New Orleans. They called, you know, they end up at Larry's house and they called me, and I ended up coming over there and making myself at home. Yeah. So now that's all I got the base now. The base is there. Now I know that the base is there. Now all I gotta do is create my own little story, you know? Every time I perform, every time I do a scene with Larry, I always try to give him something he didn't know about the character, about Leon, a little, a little at a time, you know. And all that plays a part in. Yeah, I think all that plays a part in. Um, I can't say it, was, it played a part in them deciding, deciding to bring me back or to keep me on the show, but I can say that um, I give two hundred percent to everything I, I try to do, and I want to give you what you're looking for as a director, as a. Uh, a creator of a show, I'm gonna give you exactly what you're looking for. But if you give me the ability to to do JB, I'm gonna do JB to my fullest. Well, the thing, his favorite thing, it seems like about that show is like he's got it with Richard Lewis, yeah. he has it with Jeff, and yeah. now he has it with you. Where mm-hmm. whatever the plot's going on, he'll always have those scenes yeah. when it's just him and his buddy, and they're just kind of shooting the shit, which That's is what basically yep. the Seinfeld DNA of those yep. guys in the coffee yep. shop. Yep. So when I about like Superman or something. right. So when I say that. You know, we had we was talking off the season six, talking about how it feels as though we've been working together for years. I say that because I think that applies to anybody. I think with patience, with you know, going for whatever you are going for, there is several ways to get there. You just gotta choose whatever way you choose. You gotta be satisfied with that route and make that route work for you. You know, I'm sure that's probably a, a a, a faster way to anything. But with that way comes with burning bridges, comes with stepping on toes. You know, it might not come with longevity. It Are might you come saying with you're difficult? So- no, I'm saying that, <laughs> I'm saying that every, no, I'm I, saying know, that, I yeah, was kidding. Yeah, I'm just saying like, you know, every, I think every, every chance you get, you just gotta have fun with it, man. I think that, uh, I would say Curb and Seinfeld are two different yeah. creative experiences. Seinfeld's about, yeah, the, I, I mean, uh, not Seinfeld, uh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Saturday Night Live is about the infrastructure. Yeah. This is how we do it. We've yep. done it this way since yep. 1975. Exactly. exactly. Monday's the pitch meeting. Wednesday is the day we order. stay up late. Oh my God. No, no, we have to do that. You can't. And then we have the dress rehearsal. Yeah. Then it, but it's like, there's no deviation from there's no that deviation infrastructure. From that, that curve that, is that the opposite. That is the opposite. That is exactly what, that is the exact order of things at SNL. That's, that's, that's that it, doesn't man. sound like that's your cup of tea. You know what? When I, when I, when I, well, I actually auditioned for SNL. So that was my second time ever auditioning for SNL. So uh, first time I auditioned was around when Tracy Morgan got on the show, and that cast. And oh, like 96, 97. Yeah, and yeah. then the second time I auditioned was, the, um, um, I was the last one of the last three three people. So it came down to uh, uh, Finesse Mitchell, yeah. Kenan Thompson, and myself. So we had the NBC test. And um, so they ended up giving it to those two guys. So then I left and went back to LA and they called me up and said, Hey man, would you like to, you know, we know we, we ended up going with Finesse and Keenan, but you know, we, we like you a lot. Would you want to come in as a writer? So I was like, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really a writer back then, but I said, you know what? This will look great on my resume. Right. 
let me just go ahead and just, you know, but it was hard saying like moving from New York to LA to go back to New York to audition for SNL, to come back to LA to get a phone call to move back to New York. It's like, God damn it. So it's one of those things where I had to sit there like, I was like packing all this stuff back up again. Then I had some other things that were on the table. I said, damn, do I do I get ahead and just pack up again and go back to New York? And I said, shit, you know? So I ended up saying, all right, let me, let me just go back because I think it's going to look, you know, and I'm, I'm always like, I like to plant seeds. So I'm a seed planter. Yeah. And whether that tree grows a week, a month, a year, five years, 10 years from now, at some point it's going to grow. It doesn't matter how fast it's going to grow. So I'm a seed planter. I like to plant a bunch of seeds. And when things start to grow, that's when I can jump on it and and, and apply that to what It was I'm a weird out. time for the show because you had the Will Ferrell era. Had yeah. That whole that whole cast, yeah. and then he's leaving, and then but then there's this other era coming, but it hadn't come yet. Yeah. And like Sandberg's about to show yeah, up. Yeah, man. And all Sudeikis, those guys, all those dudes. All those guys. That that was my class. Amy and Tina are kind of there, but that's they're my not. Class. They're that's blossoming my and that's taking my over class the show. Right there. But I was lucky. Kristen Wiig isn't there yet. Nope. She, yeah. she came a uh, season later. Yeah. So I was there three seasons. And um, yeah, that's the fun thing about See, I got a chance to do four four things, though. But I, I got there. I said, man, I got to make it fun for myself. And if I'm not going to get a lot of stuff on air, I need I need to like, I didn't get a lot of, I didn't get a lot of stuff on air. So I would say. Wasn't the most diverse show back then? I think, I think adding Keenan and Finesse added a lot Hoped to a the little, show. Yeah. yeah. And Maya was on the show. Right. So we, 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 we had a good time. You know, I can't say it's an easy job. Yeah. I can't say it's, it forces you uh, to challenge yourself, you know? Um, so. What were your Lauren Michaels memories? I, I, for some reason, man, a lot of people felt they, they, they didn't really get along with him too much or they felt felt terrified by him. Yeah. But uh, I I never felt like that. I'm, I'm, I'm like this, man. I'm always been a free spirit and I'm always a guy that's the loudest guy in the room. So I like to go and have fun. Yeah, you know whether it's a pitch me when I'm pitching, everybody would pitch two ideas. I would go next to last pitching every 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 uh, every Monday. Yeah, I would go next to last, and I I literally I would pitch four things every time. I'll pitch four of the craziest things I could think of, and I would stand up. I would stand up and pitch. <laughs> so, and I would always perform my pitches. Yeah. So I always gave you a little a little show while I was doing my pitches, and I would have everybody cracking up because I would always thinking the most outrageous. Some some of the most outrageous things I would think of, you know what I mean, like pregnant dominatrix, or <laughs> when uh, I wrote a sketch when uh, pregnant in the ass, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's like stupid shit I would think of, and but it would always pregnant in the ass. I would ass. kill, and that, that one didn't make air. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. But you know, I think that um, so I I, I got I got a few things on air. Uh, also, I was uh, I did warm up for two seasons. I did. Uh, uh, I was in a bunch of monologue sketches at the top of the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I was in a few sketches here and there, and I was doing Conan O'Brien, who was still at NBC then downstairs. So I would they, they would call they would call my office and they would get Lawrence permission. Can can we borrow JB? Yeah. And then I would go downstairs and do a sketch with them on camera, and then come back upstairs and finish working on, on behind the computer. So it was like I got a chance to at least I got a chance to do to be on air while I was. Not on air. You know what I mean? Who was the funniest person just around the office during that stretch? SNL? Yeah. Was there oh. anybody that just blew you away from... I love Fred. Fred Armisen. I yeah. think Fred was the... F I just love Fred so much, man. Fred, 
was hilarious to me. I just liked his, you know, he had this certain demeanor that just made me laugh, man. And and I just worked with Fred again on this uh, Quibi show uh, with John Lutz and Paula Pell and a bunch oh. of us. Yeah, so it was like the reunion of uh, of SNL. Everybody on the on the Quibi thing was all uh, former SNL people. While Fred's with. one of those guys that I can't believe he's never done a tour of duty on Curb. Let me tell you something. That man. would seem like well, I, it would almost be too weird is, to have him on that show. He is he is so goddamn funny to me, man. I freaking love Fred, man. I think Fred is hilarious. But all everyone who I worked with was was amazing, man. We had we had a great class. Uh, Sudeikis was amazing, man. You talking about Tina Fey was a head writer back then, and yeah. everybody blossomed, man. Uh, Amy Amy kills kills it now. Kristen Wiig kills it now. Everybody on everybody from my class, I like that everybody kind of has their own thing going on, you know. And that's the fun thing about working with an ensemble like that. And, yeah, um, you get a chance to see. It's kind of kind of reminds me of like comic books, you know. You you, you see the X Men the, the yeah. X Men shows. So the X Men has this big ass mansion with P Professor Xavier. I guess Lauren Michaels would be Xavier. Yeah, and all these damn characters, they're all different. They all have different powers, but somehow, you know, the the powers are suppressed in this house because you know it's, it's a certain like you say SNL is a certain kind of show it's been here forever it's kind of what it is what it is but once you get out of it once you graduate out of the school then you have your own career you know whether you're you know Wolverine or whether you're uh, yeah. Iceman or whoever Angel everybody's blossoms out and next thing you know they're doing their own thing that's kind of what it reminded me of being a part of a, a X-Men kind of mansion or something but uh because it, it just had all these rich, all these characters, all these people who had their own thing. And who, they, yeah. who were your comedy influences? Because you start, when do you start doing stand up? When you're like 20, 22? Yep. Yep. But uh, so that's yep. like after, so, five years after Eddie, <clears throat> Eddie hit it? I was watching Eddie before I yeah. started doing stand up. I was like, this dude is incredible. So, yeah. So uh, I'm 30 years in right now. Yeah. So, so you're growing up watching all the yeah. sitcoms in the seventies. Everything. 70s. That's what my I did. Now, my my influences were, of course, Pryor, Fox, yeah. Cosby, um, uh, who else? Um, and I loved. I think the as much as I loved those guys, I think there was a turn when you know they always say is, you know, when you start doing stand up. 50% of it is being able to walk on that stage, the guts to walk on the stage and grab the mic. Yeah. You're halfway there already. Yeah. I think the turn that got me really to walk on that stage and grab that microphone, I started renting uh, VHS tapes of uh, George Carlin. Oh, as yeah. As much as every, every, everybody played a part of my stand-up, but at some point I had to go from listening to it all the time on records to watching it on videotapes to being able to walk on that stage and grab the microphone. Something had to transition me to get there. Now I was always a big fan of comedy. All the, all the, I grew up on all the great TV shows. I loved, of course, I loved Genie and 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 Gilligan's Island and all those shows, The mm. Jeffersons and Sanford and Son. All my shows, I loved them. You know, uh, what's happening? All those good shows, good times. All my good shows. I was gonna be mad if you didn't mention good times. You know what I loved though? I loved, I idolized Peter Sellers. I yeah. freaking idolized Peter Sellers. Like, as far as comedic actors, yeah. Peter Sellers was gold to We me. don't really have a Peter Sellers now. Oh, Peter Sellers is incredible. He kind of he kind of had his own lane that I haven't I love, seen anyone fill. I think, I think I loved British humor a lot at that time. Yeah, I just I just loved the hell out of some Peter Sellers, man. That was my dude, man. So we oh, so he was he was incredible to me. And the eighties. Have you ever seen the party? 
Which one was that? The party. Yeah, oh my remember. gosh, man. Of course he did the Inspector Clouseau Yeah, yeah stuff. I remember him from the Pink He did one called movies. The Party, man. Oh, just incredible. You got to watch it. I want to tell you about it. It's okay. Just, it's, just, I, it's just, to me, that is one of the, the most uh, amazing uh, uh, performances to me. Um, it just shows Peter Sellers in his, in his form and what he does. So late 80s, early 90s, you're doing... You're doing the comedy stuff. Did you get it? Were you on a young comedian special? Did no. we hit all those check marks? No, nah, man. We I hadn't hit that hit that level yet. But I was doing. Um, I started out at the Uptown Comedy Club in yeah. Harlem, and then uh, of course I started working my way downtown, doing the downtown clubs and stuff here. What and was there. the Uptown Comedy Club in Harlem like oh, in the eighties? Freaking amazing! Yeah, everybody came through there, man. It was like a who's who of comedy, yeah. especially black comedy. Right. So uh, the line would would come down the stairs and all the way around the corner on a Sunday night, man. And it was absolutely So who were the amazing. OGs during that era other than Eddie? Because <sighs> the previous generation was getting old. Like Robin, Harris was, Robin Harris was around back then. Uh, Martin TV show had just came on. Oh, yeah. So we were sitting there. We were, we were backstage watching Martin backstage while they were calling out who's coming on stage next. That's how much we were like, like wow, he did right. it. You know what I mean? I think it's that he did it thing. Because we, we all want to get there. And we're sitting there watching Martin coming to the stage. Well, I got to go and run on stage and do your show. Because we were all inspired by that, man. It we was just, that new era for black was, comedy. Because you like, had, yeah, we had, you had the Robert Jam, Townsend movie. Robert Townsend movie. In Living Colors. In Living about Colors to popping off. Duff Comedy Jam was popping off. Uh, uh, BZ Comic View was popping off. And it, it just opened up this whole new uh, genre, man. Right. We, you know, and I think that There's was- There's more the, cable channels, too. That was, that was the transition. Open. That was the transition uh, of black comedy, man. I think that uh, I'm so happy that- Here's what I tell people all the time. I, I always say I wouldn't change um, my route for anything. Like, a lot of guys probably wish they were, they, they were like, fresh right now because of the social media world and how fast you can- get famous quick quicker yeah. but I wouldn't change my route for anything man I feel like I feel like me being a part of several eras I say I was a part of the inception of hip hop I seen every you name it you name an artist back then I was there I was at all the concerts sometimes I even had a fake ID because back then in Times Square Times Square was grimy you sound like Jalen Jalen always tells me oh, this too Jalen was there Times for Square. everything in the 90s Times Square was grimy. I'm telling you something, man. You can get you uh, a fake ID, anything. I hung out in all the clubs downtown. I'm talking about, I seen everybody. I was at the Tuffin and Leather tour. I was at, I seen everybody. If I didn't see you perform on stage, yeah. at the Fun House or at Roseland or wherever, all the, all the clubs, if I didn't see you perform there, I seen you perform at block parties. I seen Boogie Down Productions. I seen, you name it, Run DMC, Boogie Down Eric B. Rakim, you name any rap artist back then that started out, I was there, kid and play. I seen all these guys perform. Everybody, whether it was in a small club, a block party, Dougie Fresh. I remember seeing Dougie Fresh when he was performing in the basement of the projects. Because my buddy, his cousin was doing security for him. And I used to go down there and see DJ battles. That's when everything was bad. It was like the battle. Yeah. DJs battle each other, MCs battle each other. But it was fun stuff. It was different than it is now, man. You had crews, rap crews, and oh man, the what Cold about Crush Bi Brothers, Biggie, Biggie's way later. This like about, five years later. You're talking late '80s, early '90s. I'm talking 90s. about I'm talking about Run DMC when they first came out. Yeah, I'm talking about old school stuff. That's new. That's newer school. When that's, was Biggie? Biggie's like, in the middle. 
93. I'm talking about yeah. Herbie Rakim. You're going early. Slick Rick. I'm talking about uh, School Bus? Jekyll and Hyde. Heavy D and the Boys, who's yeah. from my hometown. I'm talking about, I'm talking about old school rappers. Curtis Blow. I'm going back, back, back. Fake ID and everything, man. 15 yeah. years old going to these parties, man. Grown ass ladies. Grown ass ladies in dresses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about partying in hip uh, hip hop clubs, partying in R and B clubs, the Red Parrot, Bentleys, uh, uh, Justines. I can go on forever, man. I'm talking about hanging out, hanging out. Before I'm talking about at the inception of hip hop. Gotcha. Inception, which is way different than you know, Biggie and them had their era, Biggie and Pac. I'm talking about before and before that. I mean, that was when Cass was banging on boxes. That era wasn't even in movies. We We were rap. We were rap at the lunch table, banging on tables. Yeah. We were rap to that. I'm talking about that is the era era, at the inception of hip hop. So we did a we did a rewatchables podcast recently about King of New York. Uh And that used some of the music from that era. It was one of the I think the first. Yeah, mainstream like action movie like that that actually relied That's what on it was man. yeah it was good times. That's what good times. So I say that because you know I've seen I wouldn't change my journey, being that uh, my influences are far and beyond. Yeah, my influences are early hip hop. I used to be a hip hop dancer. I used to dance with two crews back in the day. Wow, I was a, when roller skating was the greatest thing in the world. Going to the roller rink was the greatest thing in the world. We used to roller skate from Mount Vernon to the Bronx to skate key, change our wheels, put our indoor wheels on, skate four hours, take them off, put our outdoor wheels back on, and skate back to Mount Vernon. Jesus. That's that's a young, that's a young energy. Your kids. You just want to have fun and do stuff. So I take I say that because my my journey involves early hip hop, involves, you know. My journey just involves all the inceptions of black comedy, all yeah. the inceptions of hip hop, all the inceptions of uh, all these shows. I, you know, this, one day I was on a show and, and somebody actually ran down my whole IMDb. This stuff I forgot about that I didn't even realize I did. I did one of the first shows ever on on Comedy Central called Short Attention Span Theater. The yeah, first pilot that. ever on MTV called Apartment 2F with the Scar Brothers. Um, I don't remember that. That was a, it was, it was only it was only one pilot. Did a pilot episode. And I think it came back again later on. Comic Kazi, remember that one? No, it was a stand up show. Also, they took some of the most daring comedians out there and put them on one show, and the comedians who were physical and crazy and did crazy. Did stuff. Did anybody do pregnant Comic in the Kazi. ass or no? That was way before his time. <laughs> way before his time, brother. Pretty way before his time. But that's sketch. So they gotta bring that back. It's a classic sketch, though. It's a funny if sketch. you ever host SNL, that, that you would have to. Let me tell you something. I got so many, so many sketches that didn't make it. My monologue would actually be just all the sketches that a didn't make it. Broadway style monologue of all my sketches. The urine detective. The urine detective. <laughs> um, <laughs> all my the, the the all day cigarette. Um, you the name all it. All day cigarette. All, What's it's that a one? Long ass cigarette. It it's just, just goes all word. day cigarette. Uh, you name it, man. I would do all my classics, man, in a in a Broadway style monologue, it would man. Finish with pregnant well, in the ass. Well, I would walk through. That's that's the kicker. Yeah, I would walk through like through everybody getting dressed, 
for all my sketch for my sketches, and I would walk through there doing my monologue. <laughs> pregnant in the ass. You know? They had twenty people singing oh, "Pregnant in the Ass." With oh my god, that'd be so great. Many sketches that didn't Let's make, make it. this happen. Oh man, so many sketches that didn't make it. But yeah. I would do that. That that would be my monologue. That's It'll good. Be all my, all right, so everything I didn't make it. We still but, need to find the date when you host. Oh, and that's we'll, it. We'll, we'll figure it out. It's gonna happen one day. I, you know, you know, big rush. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, when when they when they call, I'll be ready. What's your favorite Curb episode that you've been in? They all are so fun. What's your, what's your number my, one? My number what's one. What's your go-to? What's the I, one you I, want I, on I, your tombstone? I, it's somewhere between, get, I think getting that ass is probably my favorite. Because I think, the funny thing about that sketch is Larry had no idea what getting that ass was. <laughs> His character or himself. Yeah. <laughs> Larry, Larry, and Larry David. Larry David and Larry David. Either Larry the real Larry David and the TV Larry David had no idea what getting that ass was. So the first take, I saw Larry's face like, what the fuck is that? You know what I mean? He's like nodding his head like he, like he's trying to catch it. Yeah. But then once I explained, I said, getting that ass, man, it's a metaphor for defending yourself. You know? He said, oh. And then, you know, but he played it so well. He played it as though, yeah, like, like, he, like he was just getting it. So now Leon's to the end. I don't think that, however many more seasons, Leon, maybe there's not even going to be another season, but Leon's, Leon Leon's going to be in the final episode. Leon is he locked made in, it. man. I think Leon, I think Leon. Does Leon have a Leon job? came up. What's, what nobody does Leon do for money? That's the fun thing about it. Nobody knows what Leon does. We did, how, do, how does he pay for stuff? Just one episode. Does he have a credit card? I told Larry, one episode, man, just follow Leon for one day. Yeah, what does he what do? What does Larry do? What does Leon do when he's not? Does he with, work out? He does a lot of things. Does somehow he, date? he Somehow he has money. Somehow he has ladies. Somehow he does all this stuff. I think I think I think Leon. It's almost like a, like a cartoon character, like a, like Barney Rubble, where you're just like, what does he do all day? And what the fact, we don't need day? to know. We don't need to know. I think that's what makes the mis- the, the, the mystique about Leon is, what the hell does he what does he do? But he lives by his metaphors, which are bringing a ruckus. That's how I do it. Doing your dizzle, and the main one I think he lives by is I guess mine. Right. I guess mine is the greatest phrase ever. Because some people don't some people don't know they get theirs. You got to know in your heart that no matter what happens in this world, I guess mine. Well, all we know about him is he lived with his family that was displaced by the hurricane. That's all you know about him. Ended up at Larry's house. Came but then the house. family left. Family left. He decided to stay. Yep. He and no, he decided to stay. He has Larry no trying to get rid of him. Right. He said, well, everybody's gone. I guess you're going to yeah, go upstairs. Yeah, Leon's like, I'm good. And eat this fucking Chinese food. And, and walk we don't, your ass and walk away. And he's never kept in touch Plus, with his family? Did. Of course he does. He keep in touch with his family. Okay, you think he but emails they told, them? They told to fucking leave. So they that was got a mistake. out of it. They fucked up. Yeah, that was a mistake. They fucked up. Um, we, could all we, have, we could all eat that Chinese food together. Let's talk quickly about the... Uh, you're always involved in sports stuff. Yes. Uh, like you were just always. at NBA All-Star Weekend. Yo, man. I'm, you're just kind of, you're like a peripheral Super athlete. Bowl, it's like you were All-Star. a former athlete, but you never played in a, in a league. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Sometimes. You should just have a new narrative where you were on the Charlotte Hornets in like 1992. I went to the Legends brunch, right? I, I go every year. And I sat behind the desk with all the Legends. And I said, look at us. Right. I said, look at us. We're still here. Okay, we, we, we look at that point. To, we're still here, huh, Spencer? Spencer Haywood and, and all the great legends. Spencer Haywood, you could probably convince Tumbos. you played in five Everybody, seconds. I always say us. I never say look at sir. I say sir, look at us. Right, look at us. You're a peripheral athlete celebrity. I am. I am the. You ultimate. figured out how to do it. 
I have got, I'm on every team. I have figured a way. All these guys to get know traded you. to every team in the NBA. They all know you. They, they all know me. They probably me. give you big greetings, hugs, handshake hugs. I tell you why? Because I give them love, even though they they old rickety ass bodies are, are past their prime. I speak to them as though they can still dunk. They still take that. Well, ball have you noticed athletes do no look passing? All the things they they used to be able to do, I speak to them as though they're still doing it. When I when I did Countdown with Magic, when mm-hmm. we spent the year together, he would talk about the Lakers and himself as basketball players in present tense. You have to. And he would be like, you know, the thing with James, I like to get James the ball on the right block and what James likes to do. And I'm like, James hasn't played for 15, for 20 years. You got but it. in Magic's head, it, it was all still it's all now. real. They, that's the only way. Yeah. You see Matumbo, he still does this. Right. <laughs> right. That finger still goes up. That long ass finger still goes up. Shaq and Barkley, they do it on the TNT show. They still time. talk about themselves like they could get yeah. out there and, and defend Zion. They do. Because they that's the argument people have. Their era versus the new era. They always mess these old teams up. Sometimes they'll, they'll do a little thing, line it's the tough. old teams up with the new teams. It's hard. Well, now it's tough because the, the sport changed so much the last seven it's years. So the so three-pointers. Different game. Different game now. Somebody, I was talking to somebody recently about what Larry Bird's stats would have been like in yeah. 2020. Yeah. Because he would have taken like 10 threes a game. It's hard. Faster pace. But it's hard also. Think about Shaq now. Shaq changed the game. They changed the rules because of Shaq. They did. They, they changed, changed the rules in the paint. So, as big as Shaq and as powerful as he is, do we know any true big men like Shaq? Not. Not like him. We don't know any true big men now who are playing now who have that presence, that big as he was and as strong as he was in that in this era. Well, especially you go back to like blue chip Shaq. Yeah. When he was like oh, skinny yeah. young Shaq. Skinny young Shaq. Break dancing and stuff. Doing, he was like seven doing, foot two and could break dancing. Oh doing my all that God. Fun stuff, doing a damn wave on the ground. The worm. That big, that's a big guy, man. I don't think there's going to be another center like that. Just because. I don't know. Everybody's the, hybrids of, of these big guys now. They, they want a guy who can, they want big guys who can shoot from outside. That's threes. the thing is, Shaq nowadays would be shooting threes as He'll a freshman threes. in high school. He wouldn't be working he around wouldn't be the rim working. and he doing wouldn't. all this stuff. It'd be different. It's a different game now. So you just did, we're taping this right after All-Star Weekend. You did a roast. Yeah, the was NBA fun. was always terrified of roast because I remember Shaq. Yeah. I pay-per-viewed all of them. Shaq ah. used to roast in the early 2000s. And they were really funny, <laughs> so but they would cross some lines. Yeah. Jeff Ross definitely would cross some lines in those. But now that yeah. now that's kind of circled around. But yeah. what was that roast like? The roast was amazing, man. Uh, Who'd you get to make fun of? Uh, don't, uh, I got fun to make fun of um, everybody who was also roasting. Uh, Charles, Shaq, Ernie, Kenny. So Charles four. is like just fat But jokes. we also roasted each other. Right. Which is Jeffrey, uh, Jeff Ross, myself, Jay Farrell, um, uh, Lily Singh. Uh, Gary Payton was on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was fun. So we got to just roast each other also, which was really fun. And, so you, um, the go-to things are like, Charles Barkley, you're just making weight jokes. Oh, man. Shaq, he's cross-eyed. He's, he's, yeah, all that know, stuff. We didn't go hard, harsh, because it was TNT. Oh. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't like coming. Because Jay Farrow does that whole Shaq thing. Oh, where he's, he like he's, crosses he's amazing. Side, amazing. He, yeah. he, he, he killed it. Um, everybody ripped it. It was so fun, man. Um, that was my first time doing a roast. I've never done a roast before. So that was my first. I've turned them down numerous times. So how mean did times. you get on a scale of one to ten, like a four? Which one now? How mean did you get? Oh, Not what that I did, here's what I did. I it's can't imagine easy. you getting super mean. I told them, I said, look, I went up there, I said, look, man, this roast thing is not me. That's not my, you know, why should I bring my 
friends that I love down. Yeah. I'm going to build you up. You're a positive guy. So I, I said, I'm, a posi- I'm, I'm all about positivity. I'm going to build your asses up. You guys know what's wrong with you. Yeah? <laughs> it's nothing new. Huh? You know, you know exactly what you, what, what's wrong with you guys. You know. But I'm going to bring you up. So I just, I bring them up. I just start giving them ideas of how to better themselves. Mm. And Tiffany Haddish was the host. Yeah. Tiffany was amazing as the host. I talked about how, you know, um, with Tiffany, I talked about how um, years ago, I remember Tiffany talked to me about she wanted to, to remove her mole. I said, don't, oh, don't you do it. I like her mole. I said, don't, I told her, everybody loves it. Don't you, do, don't you cut that mole off. People love that damn mole. And I talked about how she should get more moles. The more moles, the like better. Ten more. I told her she should rub faces with, uh, <laughs> with, um, I told her to rub faces with, uh, What's good? Uh, God dang it. I'm going to lose my mind. Uh, I was like, I told her to. Uh, uh, Somebody else with the famous uh, mole? God dang it. I'm going to lose my brain right now. Um, uh, uh, he played God. Um, Freeman. Freeman, Freeman. Morgan Freeman. I said, rub faces with Morgan Freeman. He got plenty of moles. Right. You got to do Take what, what you got to do. What we got to do to get more moles, do it. You know what I mean? I told her to. Uh, I said, people love that black jelly bean on your face. People love it. That black jelly bean is gold right now. You and that black jelly bean are like gold right now. You're, making, you, you, you're famous. Don't you dare cut that mole off. I talked about, uh, who I talked about? Uh, uh, Lily Singh, who was amazing. Amazing, has an amazing uh, late night talk show. Yeah. Amazing young lady. Um, I told her, I said, look, you, you, you claim Indian, but I thought you were black. So I said, you know, why don't you open a 7-Eleven Right? And kick your own self out. <laughs> easy, easy little suggestions to better their lives. I, I just kept giving them advice. You know? I told Shaq, Shaq, you should get a line of, of those big inflatable uh, balloons that sit in front of uh, car dealerships or make you put your face on them. Right. And, and just, just, it's just a Shaq it's balloon. A, it's a Shaq inflatable promotional uh, balloons. Uh, Charles Barkley, I said, Charles, man, Shaq is everywhere. His, his, he's everywhere. He's on, he's on, he's, he's, he's sponsored so many things. Yeah. His name is everywhere. Incredible I said, you, you got to do that, man. I said, you do a good job here, of course. But this is great. You do an amazing job. But you need to get a job as maybe a, you need a third or fourth or fifth job. Maybe a banana pudding inspector or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said, how about, uh, how about you, uh, uh, you, you, uh, you break chairs in. You, you're a, a comfy chair. <laughs> Breaker inner. That means somebody buys a brand new Lazy Boy couch, a, a Lazy Boy chair, and it's all stiff and hard. They call you over, you bring your big ass over there, and you sit in that chair <laughs> 70, 80 times in a row. Just keep, sit down, get up, sit down, get up, sit down, get up. Now that chair, that's comfy. It's broken in now. That's all you do. You know, stuff like that. That's, all, that's like silly stuff we did, but I, I was giving them advice how to better their lives, how to bring themselves up. You know, and I talked about Ernie, Ernie Johnson. I respected him because He's a white man with a black man's name. Ernie True. Johnson. Ernie Johnson. That's a black man's name. Oh, man. I used to have a running joke in my column about there was a Red Sox pitcher named Reggie Cleveland, but he was white. <laughs> and I was the Reggie Cleveland All-Stars for white guys with names like Ernie Johnson. <laughs> Ernie Johnson, man. Reggie Cleveland was the best one. You, you've ever thought in a million years he was a, oh my God. a white sinker baller? Oh, man. I was just talking about all kind of craziness. What, um... But, so, but, but the roast was fabulous, man. Jeff Ross... I told Jeff to gain 30 or 40 pounds, you know, and, and wrap himself in string 
and put some base himself and put a little garlic, some little garlic on himself. That way he can be a roast master that roast roast. Mm. You know, it's easy, easy stuff I'm giving them. You know, easy, easy things that they can do to, to, to bring themselves up. I think we should create a fake basketball reference page for you. I love it. Where you were on, you were on the LJ Alonzo Morning Charlotte oh. team just for one year. You know, I played a, but you, you hurt your knee. You know, I played a character in a movie called Almost Christmas named Lonnie McClay. Lonnie McClay. What was Almost I played, Christmas? I played in the Supersonics and also played in Croatia. Almost Supersonics Christmas. and Croatia. Two, two years ago, it came out. Funny movie, great movie, man. I have, I even have my own, my own card on the movie. I had a Kyle, card. have you seen Almost Christmas? Lonnie McClay. You see Almost Christmas? I don't think I saw that oh, one. Man. I see almost every movie. It's a great holiday movie, man. Yeah. Came out. Yeah, it's a holiday ago. movie. Two years ago, it came out, man. Tell from I played Uncle Christmas. Lonnie McClay. I was uh, ex- Lonnie bas- McClay. It's ex- a good basketball movie. player. I played in Croatia. I played on the Seattle Supersonics when they were still there. Right back back when Gus Williams played back in the day. Yo, yeah, you know, Gus Williams. Downtown Freddie. Big shout to Gus Williams. My, yeah. my, my man right there from Mount Vernon. So uh, my character is a name. Oh, he was, was from your hometown. Yeah, Gus Williams, Williams brothers, the Williams brothers. Uh, the McCray bro- brothers. Yeah, I have almost. the Nike poster with them. Come on, man. Come on, man. Gus Williams. Hey, man, DJ. Gus Williams was the most underrated guard of that I era. I tell people all the time, Gus. They won the NBA title. Nobody the ran, best player in the team. Nobody ran the point better than Gus. Oh, he was so good. He had the beard with the, <laughs> Whoa, with the come on, balding head combo Come on, thing. man. Come on. He held out for a year, though. He lost a whole year of his prime. It was amazing, he held man. out. Yep. Then he went to Washington. I love that guy. In the movie, my nickname is Chattel. Chattel. Oh. Because I made what? a I made a last second shot. Ah. And everybody talked about Chattel became my thing. That's all I, I so much that I couldn't let it go. Like time has passed by. People forgot about Chattel. And when someone brings Chattel. up Chattel, I'm like, did you say Chattel? What you know about Chattel? What the hell do you know about Chattel? <laughs> Chattel. Tell me about uh your tour before we go. Oh, my tour. The Lollygagging tour is a amazing fun tour. Uh you can see JB Smooth in his element, man. A lot of improvising, a lot of uh a lot of a lot of funny physical. I do a little bit of everything, man. I'm like that's I'm all like over a, the I'm country. I'm a wild card when it comes to stand up. Yeah, since I've been doing it so long, but uh, people love to come out and see my show because my I don't every show's a little different. You know, I perform for the audience in front of me, and uh, I just go because sometimes any given night, the audience loves your mannerisms, they love your delivery, they love different things about you that particular night and that particular crowd. So I always tend to go the direction of the crowd that takes me, you know, where they take me at. But um. I just love, I've been doing stand-up for a long time, man. I love it. The Lottie Gagging Tour is is a fabulous way of, of presenting a stand-up show, I feel. It allows your brain to relax a little bit. And what, and what do you do when you Lottie Gag? You're dormant. Your brain is dormant. You're open to whatever and everything to come in and, and, and entertain you. You know, there's no stress when you're Lottie Gagging. You, yeah. you just, ah, oh, let me see what JB's talking about. You know, and you watch a great show, man. And um, the tour is resuming this year. As of course, I, I started la- late last year, and now it's resuming. We just finished on Baltimore last um, uh, last week. Fun time in Baltimore. Sold out four shows. Now wow. I'm going to Sacramento uh, next weekend, the 27th. Uh, make some Kings jokes. Oh, I love it, man. I love it. I love Sacramento, man. I can't wait to go to Sacramento. All my peeps out there in Sacramento, your boy would be there. Um, and um, also, follow your boy on Old Snap JB Smooth on all platforms. O H S N A P J B S M O. Last question. Yes. Oh, that was good. Last question. Most surprising person who told you he loved Curb or she? Um, this this blew my mind. <sighs> um, I was in. I was in um, Craig's restaurant, my favorite restaurant. Yeah. And um, I was sitting there with some friends laughing, having a good time. And a lady taps me on the shoulder. 
And she says, hi, JB, we're big fans. A table full of girl ladies. Oh, my God, hi, we love you. We work for Mick Jagger. JB, Mick Jagger loves you. I said, come on, you're playing around. No, no, I swear, you're, Mick Jagger loves Curb and he loves you. I said, you tell Mick Jagger. I said, thank you. I love Mick Jagger. I said, how's he doing? He's on tour right now in Ireland. She said, you want to go to Ireland? I said, don't do this to me right now. Do you want to go to Ireland? We'll surprise him. I'm like, I said, wait, 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 wait. I said, wait, 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 wait. You mean to tell me right now we can go to Ireland right now, see the show, and surprise Mick Jagger? She said, yes. I can call him right now and see where they are. They are definitely performing in Ireland tomorrow night. We'll bring you. You'll hang out with us. He'll go crazy because he loves you. All he talks about is you. He loves Kirby Enthusiast. He loves Larry. He loves the show, but he loves he loves Leon. I said, what? I said, I gotta, I'm in the middle of shooting something. I can't just leave. She said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll let him know we saw you. And then I was like, Big Jagger loves Leon. Big Jagger. I'm talking about Jagger, the one who, I heard Mick Jagger puts, puts like four miles of walking every show on his body. He's like in the greatest shape of any non-athlete. You know how hard it is to walk like yeah. this? You got to walk like this, number one. <laughs> well, how, why can't he be on curb? Sure that seems could. like I'm that's sure a natural be. curb I'm sure, he, I'm sure he could be. Did you tell Larry about this? I told Larry. I said, Larry, man, Mick Jagger loves the show. But Larry knows a lot of the people already, a lot of these folks. That's true. He is. But, you know, Larry's, a, Larry's he's, icon, he's iconic. Right. I'm just J.B. Smooth. Everybody loves that guy. I'm just J.B. Smooth, man. Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. I mean, you could have surprised him in Ireland. Actually, he's, I could have. He's old. You might have really surprised him. You I might have had like a heart attack. Hey, man. You like the, you just show J.B. shows up in Ireland. Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. That's an amazing story. Good luck with the tour. Good luck with the rest of the season of Curb. The nice Lottie to finally Gagging do this. tour continues, baby. Hit your boy up. Oh, snap, J.B. Smooth. Woo! <laughs> All right, thanks to ZipRecruiter, thanks to Jimmy Kimmel, and thanks to JB Smooth. We'll be back later in the week with one more podcast. Until then.